This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, the NFL Combine is in the books. A lot of storylines coming out of there that are of interest to Seahawks fans and obviously fans all around, but none bigger than the quarterback out of Florida. Now we get a chance to get a a close-up look at at what's happening out there in Florida and what did happen and what that could mean in the NFL. The man who calls all of the action for the Florida Gators is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Sean Kelly is with us. How are you, man? Doing well. Hope you guys are having some great weather up there. It's in the 80s here already in Florida, so uh, never mind. I shouldn't do that to you. That's what, is that really how you want to start things off here, Sean? Come on, man. <laughs> hey, so. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, and we'll, we'll get into the specifics of, of uh, Richardson and everything that went on there, but just overall, uh, Florida as, as a school being represented out there, I didn't I didn't see every player that's a, a Florida alum out there, but is it what you expected in the way of performance from, from the players you watched all year? I think so. Um, you know, again, we're, we're talking about measurables and athletic performance. And, you know, the one thing I was encouraged to hear about several of the guys was how well they did in their interviews. Um, you know, this is not quite, you know, game audition type stuff, but it, it gives you a sense as to what, kind of athletes these young men were and, and, and who they were as people, too, and in some regards. So, uh, again, I'm not totally surprised as to how well some of these Gators have done in the combine process, in the pre-draft process. Um, you know, and, and I think some of these guys are going to translate more readily to the NFL than, than others. But at the end of the day, I think they're all league-worthy at this point. Sean, is this kid, Anthony Richardson, I, this is the first time, honestly, I've looked at his weight. 6'4", is he 244? Is he 240 around there? If he's, if he's 244, he's put on a little bit, and that wouldn't yeah. surprise me either. He was probably 235-ish um, back during August training camp, you know, anywhere between 235 and 240. But, look, we're, we're, we're quibbling over, like, what, four or five pounds here. The, the dude is massive. Yeah. I mean, I'll remember – I, I had just gotten the job. I think, you know, I barely had stuff unpacked and training camp started and I, and I went to practice and I get out there and I'm like, Holy smokes. This dude is a specimen. I mean, I mean, he kind of takes your breath away when you first see him and then to watch him kind of go about his business. It's, it's really impressive, uh, you know, and it's hard to compare him directly to one guy you want to, you want to say, Oh my gosh, he reminds me of Cam Newton or he reminds me of this guy. And, He's really all his his own, and the one thing that was noticeable right away is that probably nine times out of ten, if we're talking about scenarios here, he was probably the best athlete on the field, offense or defense, um, and that seemingly never changed even as we got into the SEC schedule. Well, I mean, everything that we saw at the Combine over the weekend was definitely on display in, in his highlight film. Just incredible, some of the plays that he's made. But what about, uh, you know, we're just kind of looking at his numbers and somewhere in the 50s as far as completion percentage. Is, he, is that because he's, he's raw or uh, t- tell us about, you know, the, the finer points of his game? Yeah, if you really start to drill down on this, you, that that number should bother you a little bit. I know it bothered Anthony. Obviously, it bothered you know Billy Napier, and and played into whether Florida was successful or not. Two things: one is his accuracy needs to improve. I think it will. I think it has to do a lot with you know 
his his feet, um, the timing with his receivers, and then his ability to read defenses too. That's something also that Anthony still I think is a long way to go in learning. And and that was one of the frustrations for Florida fans was that you have this guy who's such a tremendous athlete that you know either his accuracy wasn't better or his ability to manage the game wasn't quite maybe what it needed to be. I, I, I guess I attribute it to, let's not forget that this guy barely has double-digit starts under his belt. It, it was one of those things like if he had decided, I'm not going to go to the NFL, I'm going to stay one more year, it, it'd probably be pretty scary what he would do after having a whole year on, you know, behind him in Billy Napier's system. Heck, just working with the same offensive coordinator you know, for a full cycle. And going from there. And so that's why a place like Seattle might be the perfect type spot for an Anthony Richardson in that he doesn't have to go there and be the guy right now. Um, He's in a system that I think suits him well. And there's already a guy named Gino there that's in place and can help bring him along. And that eventually he can be that starter and eventually kind of take those reps and and those off-field lessons as, you know, in more of a – a more natural progression than say, here you go, here's the ball, here's the playbook, go get him, Tiger. And that's that would not suit Anthony well, depending on where he is drafted in this cycle. Yeah, I was watching interviews with him over the weekend from the Combine, and he talked about his footwork. They asked him to you know, talk about what his strengths are, his weaknesses, and he talked about footwork, which I, which I thought was interesting. And he seems like a nice kid. What, what, what's his reputation as a leader? What kind of a, what kind of a guy is he off the field? He evolved, you know, I think that probably early on, I thought he was too quiet. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes a quarterback not only has to be um, complimentary to his teammates, but he can also, you know, uh, critique them as well at the right spots. And as the season progressed, I watched him learn much better how to work a locker room, um, know everybody else's role on the field, and how he could help position them to succeed. All those things evolved. So I think that there was some conversation late September of this past season as to getting him to be more vocal. Hey, you already know how to do this. Let's, you know, let's apply it here. And I thought he became a much better leader as the season progressed. Um, the physical, all the physicals there, guys, if, if he gets into the open field, he can either run you over, might even embarrass you, um, He's hard as heck to bring down. He can hit the big ball. He has all the throw, the strength for all the throws, and he has that athletic ability to. You know, there was one two-point conversion we had last season where he kind of boots to his right. Guys come up in his face. He pump fakes him, leaps 360, gets away, and still makes the throw to the back of the end zone for the two-point conversion. And that was kind of like the quintessential piece of Anthony Richardson film. And at the end of that you can see him immediately run to three or four different guys. And it's about what they did on the play, even though you and I know watching it, it was all about Anthony. So I thought that spoke to not only his abilities on the field, but also his ability as a leader to make sure that he's got that team around him in those big moments. 
Yeah, I saw that one, man. That was uh, one of the better plays I've seen a quarterback make. And what about, um, you know, there there was a really good, he did a good job with the interview on TV and talking kind of about his past. And that's something that Pete Carroll, you know, doesn't shy away from. If the, the kid has some grit and it sounded like, um, you know, he was sort of going from house to house for a while. There's a story about his mother getting remarried and now he's happy. He's got a little brother. Uh, as far as that stuff goes, uh, off the field character, things like that. Seems like a really nice kid. Yeah, his mom is a real heavy influence in his life. So is his high school football coach. Um, mom's the one that kind of pushes him to be great, be tough, but also be genuine. The high school coach is is the guy that has kind of been that steady figure through you know his formative years, and still is a counselor to him uh, on the field and off. Uh, it was one of those deals where. He struggled, I guess it might have been the Kentucky game, again, back towards September. And, you know, as simple as this sounds, but that that high school coach telling him, be yourself, just let it rip, play football, that was also important. His mother also, with regard to how he handled himself classroom-wise and as a citizen, especially when he had a little run-in with them, um, he got himself into a little bit of a speeding problem. And his mom and, and that group around him, helped him handle that pretty well and i thought it was a good wake-up call for him as uh, in the moment too how do you how do you just personal opinion how do you think he stacks up versus bryce young cj stroud will levis the other three that have been talked about for the majority of the time up to this point and now he's the conversation but do you think he compares favorably or do you feel like they're much more refined at this point how do you view that that sort of four-way battle if you would yeah, it's a fair question, and I, and I had all of them, whether it be you know in a Florida situation or in my work with ESPN Radio. Um, it, it's funny, the last game of the year that I did was the Sugar Bowl, and so I got to see Bryce Young in that performance. I, that's as good as I've seen in a while. It, it, it was spectacular. It just, Bryce came out and, you know, hold, hold this. I'm going to show you why, and it was very, very impressive. So I would almost kind of put Bryce at the top of that list, I put Anthony, the the upside of the potential amongst those four for sure. Um, CJ's won, you know, at, at every moment in his career pretty much, and he does special things too. This is a pretty cool quarterback class coming out. Will Levis also is a guy that when he walks onto the field and he gets behind that offensive line, of Kentucky, it was just you kind of hold your breath a little bit because he can make something special happen at any moment. So all those guys – um, were, were top of their game, uh, had something special to them. And anytime they touched the ball, something pretty cool could happen. So they all checked those boxes for me. And getting to see all of them in person was pretty awesome. And then having then prior to coming to Florida, been with the Saints the years that I was, I have to always kind of seemingly compare them to Drew Brees and watching Drew work and go about his, his, um, his routine. So there are comparisons to be made. Some are unfair. Uh, and, and at the same time, I, I think that all of them are probably suited for success the way the NFL game is being called and, and, um, and played out now. Well, Sean, maybe the best football player at Florida is Osiris Torrance, and I got a chance to to look at him play offensive guard. I mean, he just he does everything. He's looking for extra work. He's always getting guys sealed. I mean, he just incredible player, and looks like he's uh, possibly a first rounder according to the the mock drafts. But uh, tell us a little bit about his skill. If he's not a first rounder, somebody's lost their mind. Um, 
that's as good as the that I've seen on that line. I mean, the numbers alone about not allowing a sack, not allowing a quarterback hit. I mean, are you serious? You mean never has allowed that? Yeah, never. Um, and sometimes linemen are are great. You know, I'm just thinking of it as a play-by-play broadcaster. If I don't mention a lineman's name, that's probably a good thing. If I do, you want to make sure it's he's road grading somebody. Um, but for the most part, it was never a situation where you would mention Osiris Torrance in a negative way. And it was just one of those, hey, look, everything to Anthony's right, no problem because of Torrance. Uh, he is leverage with his arms, the length of his arms, the strength that he possesses. Once he got a hold of somebody, it was over. So, yeah, I mean, the teams kind of beat Torrance or that side of the line sometimes, yep. But it's not because Torrance, it was Torrance's fault. It was just they schemed it right, and Torrance didn't have a chance to put his, his hooks on him. So he's, he's a, as impressive as a kid as I've been around off the field, too. Um, what a get for Billy Napier to have him come, come with Napier to Florida because – he made that offensive line of strength of this football team almost single-handedly. So aside from those two guys, is there somebody that's not being talked about coming out of Florida? Maybe somebody on the D-line, perhaps, or linebacker spot that the Seahawks desperately need help with, and I'm not sure where they'll they'll pick defense. We'll see what they do. But just on the defensive side of things, anybody you look at? It'll be interesting to see what happens with Brenton Cox because he's, he's built right and has the strength and all that, but never quite gave us at Florida what I think that potentially he'll do eventually in the game of football. Javon Dexter is another name that probably will come up at some point. Ventrell Miller was a favorite player of mine just because he was such a great leader. Um, and, and coming back from injury, I thought he was an outstanding middle linebacker. I think he'll also be a nice NFL player too. Trey Dean on the back end is, is also somewhat interesting because, again, off the bus, here he comes. You're like, that dude, here we go. Um, but at times, um, could get beat, you know, maybe gambled a little bit more than he should have. But those are guys that obviously have great talent, and uh, it'll be interesting to see who and where they end up and how that plays out. Hey, last one before we let you go. Just let me let me ask you to play GM for a quick moment. You're the Seahawks sitting there at five, and Richardson's there. Do you take him? Probably because of the situation that you all are in up there with, with Gino. If, if I'm looking for a quarterback to start right now, I'm not so sure I, I pull the trigger on that. But if, but if I need a guy that's two years away, I, I, I think I'd take that chance. Sean Kelly, voice of the Florida Gators, spending some time with us here with Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. Sean, thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Guys, thank you very much, and I'm really glad I don't have to make those decisions. It's fun to just talk about it. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Take care, guys. Appreciate it. There you go. Sean Kelly, the play-by-play man for the Florida Gators, giving us some insight into Anthony Richardson, who's the talk of the combine, Dave, and and for good reason, a, a, a fantastic athlete. I was just asking you earlier, like, I'm, I'm curious. I, I get that the media and some of these other people maybe weren't that dialed in them. We weren't watching Florida games but I was reading, we've been doing all these mock drafts. I've been sending them to you guys all over the place. And you you see little breakdowns of all these players. What we saw in the combine is kind of what we read about. I'm wondering if he just exceeded. He was just faster than they thought. They said he was fast. Maybe he was faster. Or they thought he was agile and he could jump and do all these things. Maybe he jumped higher. But how how much of what he truly did there was 
another world away from what anybody expected, I guess, is my question to, to be have this kind of buzz going like I, I could see if he was a guy that was looked at as like, ah, he's an OK athlete. And mm-hmm. then he went out there and did that and everybody going, oh, my goodness. But he was already thought of as a fast guy. He's already known to be a big guy. He's already thought of as a guy who's incredibly athletic. And all of that was certainly made true. And and maybe he just exceeded expectations to a point people were excited. But uh, I don't I, I don't. It's just kind of a weird reaction to what it feels like people already knew about him. I think it's the media. And I think it's some of the guys that are building these mock drafts that are susceptible to that. That to him going up. So, and and again, I, I mentioned this early on. I do think that uh, Daniel Jeremiah does a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in the NFL. He was a scout. You know, he what he thinks. And he was explaining to Rich Eisen, which I don't know how you feel about Rich Eisen. He's like so him. clever, man. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, he he did such a such a great job. But those two guys together, and and you know, Rich Eisen was saying, well, why are you bashing the media? Because he's like, I'm not bashing the media. I'm just saying that. The people that are getting all excited about this workout and everything are people that didn't know who he was, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this guy went to the top of the list. You know, I'd say a good example would be like Nolan Smith, who's the outside backer from uh, Georgia. You know, and he he was he's a good player, and he was seen to go in the you know in the the top first round, and he had a really good day. He, I think he helped himself out a little mm-hmm. bit, but I don't think I think you can only hurt yourself. I don't think you can climb up anybody's board in the NFL based on what you did in the underwear Olympics. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry to call it that because that's what it's really these guys are looking at, at so much so many other things. They're looking at, you know, they've been down on the sidelines. Remember the story with uh, with Schneider where and I thought it was interesting. John told us yeah, I'm not recognized quite a bit in so yeah. many words is what he said. So he can kind of stand around the sidelines, watch how the guy reacts during the game. That's that's one thing that's really valuable is that if you're able to stand the sidelines and see what this guy is like when he's under pressure in a big game. I remember John went to last year, I think, to uh, I think it was Tennessee LSU game. He was down on the side. Every time they the Seahawks go on the road during the season, he's going to different you know, colleges and watching games and things like that. Yeah, so I think it's it's all the people on the outside that are like, oh, yeah, this guy is, you know, he's going to be in the top five. And so Daniel Jeremiah, getting back to him, he has him at 22. He has him uh, going to the Ravens, the 22nd pick. And that's kind of where I've seen. I've seen some that didn't have him in the first round. I've seen some that had him mid. He's yeah. kind of been mid, lower first round, some early second, and now – Everybody's talking about, I, I sent you that odds thing. I can't remember where it came from, but, you know, talking about him as the number one overall pick. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? I mean, not that he, he may end up being a superstar. He may be Mahomes Jr. I don't know. But for a guy whose his accuracy hasn't improved from the season because we haven't seen him in a game. And he's always been deemed an athlete with all these gifts. So those were on display. It, the I, I'm, I think I'm with you in that it's maybe people that weren't that in tune to him. Meaning, if you're a GM of a team, that, especially a team that's in need of a quarterback, if you're talking about the Colts, if you're talking about the Texans, you're talking about any of these other teams we look at and go, they need a quarterback. Panthers, they know everything about him. I'm, I'm guessing their mind was not changed by what they saw this weekend. I'd be mm-hmm. surprised if they went in thinking – yeah, he'd be the fourth quarterback on my list. He'd be I'd I'd take Young, I'd take Stroud, I'd take Levis first, and he'd be the next guy. Did that change based on this weekend? And if so, what what was it? Was it the forty time? Was it 
him throwing with no pass rush, no equipment on that that made it well, different it for been, you? It could have been the health thing that they did. I mean, I think the two most important things we're finding out is the interview and the health history. You know, is he durable? The durability no. thing. So, yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I think that that is more for. And look, it's it's a great thing. I mean, I, I'm sure like the NFL Network, they're having their guys, you know, play it up, play it up a little bit. This guy had a great combine. Yeah. We're putting the combine on the air. How about we, you know, say, hey, this guy really helped himself. I think he could have moved up maybe five or ten slots. I, I could see that going on. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just that I, I don't think that the serious minds in the NFL, like the GMs like Schneider and Fitterer, are getting blown away by Anthony Richardson's numbers at the combine. Yeah, and they were great. They were all yeah. great, but I think I'm putting myself in their spot thinking I've been watching all this film and talking to people in the program and talking to the equipment guys even, and we've heard about all the due diligence yeah. they do if they're interested in somebody. I don't imagine they were surprised by anything this weekend. You know, maybe they'll be more surprised in an individual workout or something, but to me it's more about what kind of a quarterback is he. Not is We know he's fast. We know he's big. All of that, we watch the game tape. We've seen it. We, you know, it's about can he function as a quarterback at the next level? Can we work on his footwork? Can we work on his accuracy? Is that something that can be improved? All of those other things were already known commodities, I guess, yeah. is my point. I'm not trying to down the kid at all because no. he was spectacular there. I just don't think any of that was a surprise to those that are scouting and looking for quarterbacks. Well, and who was the kid last year, the defensive tackle from Georgia? I can't remember his name, but he was the big, huge dude. He ended up going to Philadelphia. He played very little. Yeah. Very little. But, you know, the, he was the big hyped-up guy last yeah. year. And I think Anthony Richardson certainly was this time. Although I, the most impressive thing for me was watching C.J. Stroud throw. But, um, you know, there, there's, there were some other ones, too. That Nolan Smith kid really helped himself out. But, um, yeah, those kinds of things I think are just cool. They're fun. They're, I, I think, also... How is he reacting with all this competition around him? We've talked about that last week about the difference between the combine and having your own pro workout. I just I would put much more into the combine because yeah. they're 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 competing against all these other. How do they react in a competitive situation like that? So yeah, it's I, I think not much has changed for as a po- I mean. Um, Pertaining to Anthony Richardson and his performance, I'd say for most teams, not much has changed based yeah. on his performance. All right. Coming up, Jordan Schultz broke the Geno Smith contract news, and he's going to join us next to talk about it. This is Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The Seahawks and Geno Smith have come to terms on a three-year extension worth $105 million. We'll get the breakdown on all of it hopefully soon here. The the only other detail to this point that we've seen is that there's the ability to earn up to $52 million in the first year. And we'll see when we get details on incentives and bonuses and all of that good stuff. And they can you know, get out of the deal after this year or that year and that it won't be punitive to the salary cap. There's always those kind of kind of details attached to these things. So we'll see Jordan Schultz, uh, NFL insider at the score, will join us here shortly. He's uh, a guy who was uh, part of breaking this news with some of the details out there on the contract. So we'll catch up with him and maybe at this point he'll have more insight on some of the guarantees. But three years, if he plays it out, that you know, if they were to draft a quarterback this year, whether it's with that first pick or if it's, in, you know, a later round, 
It's a good opportunity, isn't it? You, you've got somebody you feel good about that, that had, is coming off a tremendous year in Geno, and you get a chance to potentially, if they, if they go that route, bring in a young guy with no pressure. Hey, sit back. You're going to watch. You're going to learn. And, you know, here's the game plan. Maybe it's after one year. Maybe it's after two years. Who knows if Geno sees three, the full three years of the deal, or maybe mm-hmm. they draft a kid they feel good about after the first year. Who knows? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting day because Derek Carr ends up getting signed with uh, the New Orleans Saints, and so I'm looking at his numbers, longer contract, but his is 37-5 and Geno's is 35. Yeah. So, you know, interesting. Those two have been talked about a lot. Now, Derek Carr, much more, right? Geno, Geno really wasn't talked about that much and I just I don't know if maybe Gino give gave everyone a sense that uh, I'm going back to de- uh, to Seattle. This mm-hmm. is where my home is and this is where I've played my best football and remember when we talked to the guy from the NFC South he said he talked to Gino at the Pro Bowl and that Gino basically told him that things are going good and he expected to for it to work out here in Seattle. So yeah, I don't know that it's Maybe it doesn't necessarily show a lack of interest from other teams, but I do think that has something to do with it. I mean, you know, we talked to Scott Fitterer about it, and he basically said, yeah, that's we know what he's about and mm-hmm. his whole story about possibly – remember the story with uh, Schneider uh, was was talking about he had a conversation with Gino about going and playing in the Canadian Football League yeah. just to get reps. That's crazy. Which kind of brings your the XFL – and I know you're yeah. a huge XFL fan. Bob. Massive. It's 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 all I think about, Dave. I watch it on a loop. Uh, uh, hey, no, just some details on Carr's contract here. If you want to hear these, I'm sure. seeing a breakdown of it on ESPN. So this is a breakdown of his deal with the Saints, according to a source who has viewed the contract. Okay. $28.5 million signing bonus, $1.5 million fully guaranteed salary in 2023, $30 million fully guaranteed salary in 2024, $40 million salary in 2025, of which $10 million becomes fully guaranteed in March, uh, and then $50 million in 2026, which is not guaranteed. So there's a quick breakdown of Derek Carr. But we've been talking about the big news that is the deal that has been uh, struck between Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. And one of the first guys we saw reporting on this is now with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He's an NFL insider at the score. Jordan Schultz is with us. How are you, man? Hey, guys, doing great. Thank you. There we go. There we go. We got you. Hey, so uh, we, we saw your tweet. Your, yours is the first one I saw that had any sort of detail to it. I haven't seen anything to this point in the way of, uh, you know, what the guarantees are, what the incentives are. But you you put out there three years, $105 million, uh, with the ability to earn up to $52 million mm-hmm. in that first year. Do you have any idea what it would take to reach that number? I haven't got there yet. Uh, when I reported the news, that was uh, I was so – you know, so so conscientious of the of the 52 million because, in a sense, it's not guaranteed, but he can get basically built-in escalators. Um, I would imagine it it is all performance based. How many games you play, very similar to what you would have maybe seen with with other quarterback deals in the last couple of years. Because at this point, what Seattle's betting on is, is not only Geno the player, but Geno the person. And what I mean by that is. When they brought him in as Russell Wilson's backup, 
I think they were cautiously optimistic that he could be a potentially a bridge guy. He has exceeded all expectations, and he's done it because he's been able to command the locker room. And, and when you talk to players, and I've had conversations with, with D.K. Metcalf and Geno about this, for example, Noah Fan about how, what is it about Geno that has allowed him to have success as such, a, such an early part as a starter? Because remember, he sat for eight years. And, and what you hear is it's the preparation, the leadership. It's all the things that you want out of your quarterback, out of your CEO. And I think that's why he'll be able to hit a lot of those, if not all of those, $52 million. But it goes into April 2024. It's a full calendar year, and that's ultimately what he wants. Hey, Jordan, did you get the sense uh, that from other teams there was much interest? We, we didn't hear a whole lot of news. Um, what was your, your sense as far as his desirability around the NFL? Yeah, there, one of the teams that stood out was the Jets. Um, I know they, they kicked the tires on it, but Gino really wanted to stay in Seattle. Um, and when I talked to him throughout the process, it was, it was how, how do I find a way that both the Seahawks and me feel comfortable because ultimately this is where I want to be. So I think other teams knew that. I know the Jets were interested. There, there, was, there were other bites. You know, obviously, teams that need quarterback you know, checked in. But ultimately, it was really the Seahawks, and, and that was the – that was the team he wanted to be at, and I think the rest of the league knew that. So is your feeling that he got about what he wanted? Do you think he was going into this expecting, I'm a $40 million a year guy, and the Seahawks are thinking we're, you're a 30, so we meet in the middle? Or how do, how do you? I don't know how much knowledge you have of, of the mm-hmm. process and how this has gone along, but does this match what you kind of thought, or how, do, how does it stack up? I, my, my interpretation was this was always – about the number that he that he felt like he needed, um, and especially when you consider that the tag for quarterbacks was was about thirty two point four. So he he wanted a, a really respectable number, um, and I think this was this was where he wanted to get to. Obviously, everybody wants to get the big the best number possible. We're seeing it right now with the Giants and Daniel Jones, who who wants over forty million dollars. I think Geno was realistic was in terms of where he's at, and the fact that he he also wanted to reward the Seahawks for for betting on him. You know, this this was a guy who, you know. A few years ago was could have been, could have been out of the league, you know, and, and was a backup relegated to that status. So I think there was a there was a sense of yes, I want to be comfortable here. I am comfortable, but also he wanted to reward Coach Pete and the organization for giving him an opportunity. So there was a lot. It was a it, the negotiations really picked up during the combine the last week, the last four or five days, and ultimately this was this was about the number and probably about the time that we thought we that, that they thought a deal would get done. And Jordan, you you mentioned the the kind of man because I totally agree that you know especially at quarterback that you need to be a solid guy. Have you you know have you got a chance to kind of get to know Gino? And you know he's he's one of those guys we really only see. We haven't been able to interview him. He's usually just at the you know the the car wash or up there at the mm-hmm. uh, the press conference. But what about that part of it? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so glad you asked it because that's a huge part of this and. And obviously, on the heels of you know what happened with Russell Wilson, the divorce there, wanting the stability, um, I spent a lot of time with Gino, and I think one of the things that stood out for him was was being grateful for being for having this opportunity. You know, this was a guy who was a big recruit, had a great college career, was a high pick, and things for whatever reason didn't work out. And one of the questions I asked him over the last year, and I've asked him this kind of a few times. Is is would you change anything? Because obviously this was not the career arc he probably thought he would have coming out of college, and the answer was was always a definitive no. Because he felt like the opportunity for him to sit behind Eli Manning, to be in New York as a backup, to sit behind Russell, who he had a great relationship with, all those things put him in the position now where where he feels like 
this is the best version of him, and he's only getting better. And I think also the relationship with the players. I mean, a lot of guys have already texted me on the team saying I'm, they're so happy for him, and and that's what you want to see because uh, you know I, I, let's just point down the road in Arizona where there's not exactly that revolve that, that all that love for a quarterback. We see with Kyler Murray <laughs> and some of the issues they've had there, right? And so when you reward a quarterback and you give him that kind of money, it's it's great if he's a good player or a great player, but it's even better when. You, you feel you believe in the person, and I know Seattle does, and, and I can tell you that it's, it's warranted having spent ample time with Gino. By the way, I, I talked to him about 20 minutes ago, and his response was, I'm ready to get to work. So I think that says it all. Do you, yeah. do you think, uh, you know, everybody's aware of the offseason trouble that happened there, and I don't even know if that's been cleared up or where that's at, but is that something you think helped sort of shape the person that he is now as well, kind of learning a lesson trouble. with what do you, Oh, uh, with the DUI what, what thing? Do you, Oh yeah, you know, I to be full transparency, I haven't I haven't asked him about it, um, but I I I would imagine that's played into it. I mean, you know, when you're when you're I, I was in New York when he was uh, I think it was second round pick uh, almost a decade ago. Uh, I think it was a decade ago, yeah. and you know he it was a lot of turnovers. He lost the job two years later. Um, he was punched. It was just a it was a it was just a cavalcade of 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 things that had gone wrong for him. And you know, I, I don't know if if he wasn't ready mentally for it, but I think now he feels like all of those, like I said, I just, I just think all of those things really shaped him uh, as a person first and then as a player. And, and, and it's those things that gave him, then that give him the confidence to, for example, make these, these checks at the line of scrimmage where, you know, you talk to uh, defensive coaches around the league and they'll tell you that there's very few guys that are consistently making the right checks the way Gino does at the line. And that's, that's just preparation and confidence. Good stuff. Jordan, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time with us on short notice. Uh, nice job getting that story out there and uh, everybody out here excited. So thanks so much. I, I, I got to tell you something, guys. I grew up listening to 710. You know, I'm from Seattle. I love everything about the station. It was a big part of my childhood. So it's a, it's an honor to be on and I'm certainly happy to do it anytime. Awesome. Well, we thanks, appreciate Jordan. that. Thanks, Jordan. Anytime. Be good. There you go. Jordan Schultz, uh, NFL insider at the score. Boy, that makes you feel old. Grew up listening to it. <laughs> hey, that was a nice Goodness. compliment there. How old yeah. is he? Uh, I'm only 31. Come on, man. No, uh, anyway. Uh, Bob uh, started radio when he was 12. <laughs> had a really deep voice as a 12-year-old. Uh, no, our thanks to Jordan Schultz, who was the the first that I saw that put out you know some of the detail to the contract. Yeah. And even he said he hasn't gotten gotten all the details in terms of what's guaranteed what's bonus how do you get to that 52 million dollar number all that stuff so that will eventually find its way out into the public we'll talk about that meanwhile how do the new orleans saints keep finding ways to get around the salary cap we'll hear about that when we sweep the dial coming up with wyman and bob this is seattle sports on 710 scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day sweeping the dial Every afternoon at 4.45 with Wyman and Bob. The New Orleans Saints, uh, they just don't like the cap. They don't care for it. They keep finding ways to make sure the salary cap doesn't exist. We don't really know how they do it. And NFL Network's Mike Garofalo was explaining a little bit about how the car contract was done in order for them to uh, avoid a big cap hit here in year one. There's the money for Derek Carr. Now look at that last line. Carr structures his deal to accommodate the Saints cap issues. That actually worked to his advantage because it allowed guarantees for Carr into year three. They said, you don't have to front load this or you can't front load this the way that some other teams may have front loaded this. Well, why don't you offset that by giving us some guaranteed money? 
into uh, the third year. Derek Carr's made a lot of money throughout his career. What he wanted was the commitment and to know that this is not just going to be a one and done here, that it's going to be multiple years with the Saints for Derek Carr. So that is the commitment he got from them contractually today. Derek Carr heading to the Saints. Now, I mentioned the Jets, by the way. Where does this leave the Jets in all of this? Uh, look, they're still waiting potentially on Aaron Rodgers, like the rest of the league, like the rest of the world, like all of us. Nobody seems to know what is going to happen with Aaron Rodgers, so Rodgers could potentially land with the Jets. It's kind of interesting. You know, I mentioned Mickey Loomis earlier, and he's more of a money guy. You know, he's not one of those guys that started off as a scout. He started off in the front office doing financial uh, transactions and things like that. They've done a pretty good job of finding cap space. Well, this is we we always talk about looking at you know well they this team has this much cap space and this team has this much and I feel like it's almost a, an exercise in futility because even when you look at a team like the Saints are always in that bottom half a team that's in salary cap trouble and they're right. they're twenty million over they always find a way to pull off a deal if they need it same with the Rams same with all these teams they you know maybe they restructure maybe they get rid of some guys but. They just always seem to find a way. So it seems very deceiving to look at a number and go, oh, this is great. They've got this much to work with or they don't have much to work with. It's, it's, there's ways around all of it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, though. I, I feel like he, he does kind of, you know, his job and stays in his lane and is not trying to evaluate talent. But he does a really good job of shifting money around and, you know, making recommendations. And, uh, yeah, the, the Saints have been one of those teams like the Seahawks that have drafted low because of their uh, playoff appearances over the years. Sweeping the dial. This is getting to be kind of a, not scary, but kind of an unfortunate situation in the NBA. John Morant was suspended for uh, at least two games yesterday after a video of him popped up on Instagram Live flashing a gun in a club, which is really the latest in a series of kind of troubling situations he's been in over the past few months. And Taylor and Grizzlies head coach Taylor Jenkins was asked about uh, what the team has said to Morant. Very tough moment, uh, for sure. Um, you know, but, you know, just so everyone knows, I'm not going to comment much about internal conversations that we've had with job we've had as a team. Uh, we've had as a leadership group, um, you know, we love him. You know, we want what's best for him. We support him. Um, it's going to be a difficult process, um, but, you know, uh, we've got a great group to get through this. You will say what steps need to be taken moving forward for him to rejoin the team? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not going to share what those conversations are. Um, you know, I think the focus right now is Josh taking on the responsibility to really get the help he needs to get into a better place, uh, generally speaking, but also on the flip side, uh, to be in a better place to, you know, embrace the responsibilities and expectations as a member of this team. Um, that's what we're dialoguing about. Um, you know, that's what we're going to support him through, but we're also going to hold him accountable to. This, this guy is a hell of a player. He is a really good basketball player. He's he averaged to- 27 points the last two years. Yeah, I think he's over eight assists a game. I mean, he's a very good player. He is a king-size knucklehead. This is not his first time that he's... He, we, we heard about the dust-up with the, the guys from his crew that walked on the court, remember? And then mm-hmm. they, after the game in the tunnel or, or where, they, where the buses are, they said the lasers being pointed like they thought there were guns. And then he supposedly pulled a gun on a, a teenager in a pickup game. And then you've got oh, this. Geez. And he's... First of all, he's in a club. I don't know if it's some are saying it's a strip club, saying it's a regular club. I don't know. Who cares? But he's there with his shirt off. I don't care if you're in a club or a strip club. Why is your shirt off? And then he's got the gun and he's flashing it in the video. Somebody with some common sense needs to get around this kid because you're going to blow it. You're going to blow it. Now, talent always gets a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. But 
My goodness, man. You talk about just one dumb thing after another. Somebody that he respects that's got common sense needs to get around this kid. Sweeping the dial. All right, I want to keep our guy Brady Henderson waiting, so I won't play all of this. But uh, Travis Kelsey hosted SNL over the weekend, and, you know, he was pretty decent with his opening monologue. Jason and I have actually been playing football together since we were little kids, and he was always better than me at everything. Um, In high school, he was an honors student, and I got kicked off the team because I failed French. And English, too, but French sounds way better. And then when we were in college, uh, I actually got kicked off the team because I tested positive for marijuana. So it just goes to show you, if you smoke weed and you're bad at school, you can win the Super Bowl twice. (laughs) (laughs) You kids, don't do that. Yeah, it was pretty funny. He had his brother sitting there in the front with his parents. His brother wearing like this big kind of weird furry sweater. I don't know what the hell he was wearing. But uh, yeah, it was it was I thought he did a pretty good job. I thought he was pretty solid. So, yeah, there you go. Travis Kelsey is the host of SNL, part of his monologue. All right, Brady Henderson, who covers the Seahawks for ESPN.com, will join us next. Break down uh, more, of, see if he's got more details on this Geno Smith news, how it affects the team heading into the draft. All of that coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.